Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. If you've been listening for a while, welcome back. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Fiona. My passion for sport really started when I was a competitive swimmer. This led me to study sport development at university whilst also working within the sporting industry. I'm a huge believer in sport being used as a tool for good. Each week, I'll bring you an episode with someone involved in the sporting world. It could be your local high school teacher or your childhood or current sporting hero. The difference is that it's not your typical type of questions. We talk about the highs and lows in their journey through sport, but also what they've learned from it and how it's made them who they are today. There's also a strong focus on how being involved in sport can impact the community. If you haven't already, make sure you hit follow wherever you're listening so you don't miss the drop of each new episode. If you're after some bonus content, then you can check out our Instagram or Facebook page at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I've teamed up with Inspire Tech to empower individuals to look after their own wellness and shed light on the stories of athletes' lived experiences. The mission for Inspire Tech is to positively change the lives of millions of athletes as we have seen a huge shift of focus towards supporting athletes, particularly around mental health. Today's guest is the sprint champion and Australian Paralympic athlete, Isis Holt. The young star has gone on to achieve many memorable achievements in her short career. At 14, she set world records in both the women's T35 100 and 200 metres at the 2015 IPC World Champs in Doha. She has since won silver at the 2016 Rio Paralympic Games, gold at the 2017 London World Champs and 2018 Commonwealth Games and more recently competed at the Tokyo Paralympics where she set a new PB knocking seconds off her previously set world record time. Not only that, but Isis is a huge advocate for mental health and treating the athlete as a whole person, which I hope you hear in this chat. Okay, it looks like we're live. So Isis, welcome. It's such an honor to have you on. Thank you. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. In terms of like your sporting journey as an athlete, how would you describe any mental challenges of balancing like everyday life with your sport? Um, I think for me, it changed a lot over the years. Um, I was quite young when I started in athletics. So the mental challenges that I had at 14 were quite different to the ones I now have at, at 20, for example. So I think for me, it was about trying to be as adaptive as possible and really just kind of learning as I went. I think initially it was all about finding a space where I felt like I belonged and just kind of learning the ropes. And then it sort of developed into, I guess, really nurturing that sense of self-confidence and like mastery of a sport. So it's really changed over time and it's been quite unique and diverse over those years, but definitely a few themes that have run through. Yeah. And so you've mentioned that you started when you were young, like at 14 and as a 14 year old, like lots of pathways in your brain are connecting and, and finding a safe place is so important. That's why I fell in love with my sport. How, how was it like competing at the world stage at that, that, that age? Like that's such a young age to be like putting, you know, putting that on you. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I think it barely registered. I think at 14, like I was very much, um, I stand by the fact that I still do just kind of show up and do what I know I need to do. At 14, that was 
pretty much all it was. I knew that I had to be in this place at this time and run the same race that I'd run a hundred times before. And that was kind of as simple as it got for me. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how to sort of prepare the way, you know, a seasoned athlete might. I Mm -hmm. very much just kind of did my best and kind of had to work with that. So yeah, it was definitely very, um, it was quite overwhelming and confronting, but also really exciting. And it was like this whole new world that opened up to me. You've been to two Paralympic Games, Tokyo, and it was Rio, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Like, how do you go competing at, like, that pressure um, and, like, the difference between them? Because I guess that's a, Tokyo was a five-year cycle. So, like, you would have aged mentally a lot in that space, you know, going from a young teenager to, uh, like, to you now, you know, now in your early 20s. Yeah, I think um, the comparison between... Uh, Tokyo and Rio is probably the most obvious one to me. I went into Rio uh, just so nervous and so unsure of myself. Um, If anything, Rio sort of felt like my first major event. And I think that was where I really learnt, or I guess was, was shown the importance of sports psychology and that sort of elite athlete mentality because I went into Rio with none of those resources really. So for me, it was about, I guess, seeing what happens when you are a little bit under-equipped and that's all Rio was really. And then I think mm-hmm. Tokyo, a few years later, I, you know, I had that time to go away and I, I had a break. So I had some time away from my sport. I had the opportunity to work more with sports psychologists and my personal psychologist and really um, develop that I guess, elite athlete sort of mindset that people talk about to take into into Tokyo. But having said that, I was also older and more mature as well, which only really stood out to me once I was actually there. So, mm. yeah, it was quite a stark contrast. Yeah, I could imagine. So you mentioned like you you didn't have access back at Rio to, I guess, a support system in terms of like professional sports psychs. How... Do you describe your support system now? Like you, you see a sports psych, a regular psych. What about family and friends? Oh, yeah. I mean, my support system now, it's just incredibly multifaceted, really. I mean, I have a personal coach who is so um, involved in, in what I do and in my life, which sounds overbearing, but actually works when <laughs> when the relationship is right. So that has made a huge difference for me, feeling like, I have a coach that really appreciates who I am as a holistic sort of person. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess outside of that, I obviously have my parents, my family who have been fantastic from, you know, when I was 14 through to 20, they've always stood by the fact that I should be able to do what I want to do for as long as I want to do it. My friends and my boyfriend especially are also fantastic when it comes to making sure that everything kind of goes as seamlessly as possible. I think it's that support system that helped to really make the most of, of who you are and get the most out of you that makes the difference in the end. I mean, you can't really believe in yourself until everybody else does too. So yeah, it makes a big difference. To have that around you and be able to then succeed in your sport or even just like get the best out of yourself is such a special thing. And, you know, that holistic attitude towards sport, like it's not just how fast you can run or how you know far you can jump it's you know the whole 
well-being aspect and you're like like you said before holistic perspective yeah exactly yeah oh I love that so I'm gonna throw you uh, a hard a hard question now I don't know if you've been asked this many times but you know you're competing at the top level of your sport you're multi world record like you've held world records before and and like that in itself is amazing but have you got someone that you look up to like in terms of an athlete more than anything I guess as opposed to sort of admiring or idolizing I just have a lot of respect for these people and to be honest with you um people like Jared Clifford or Maddie Di Rosario are two athletes that really stand out to me I think I can obviously relate to them in terms of sort of where they are in their careers but quite often both of them go above and beyond people's expectations and their own expectations and they have such a fantastic I guess conceptual idea of what sport is and what it should be particularly Mm -hmm. Maddie I love what she's doing in the sport for women at the moment and the the sort of awareness that she's drawing to not only elite sport but elite Paralympic sport so they're probably the two that really stand out to me and I like how you framed it that, you know, yes, they're inspiring, but also like you just have respect for them as a person. Like it's not even just their athletic achievements. It's like who they are as a person, which is really cool as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think that's, you know, a higher compliment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get them to tune in and see what they think. <laughs> so we mentioned before, like some of your achievements, what do you reckon would be the most memorable like achievements to you and I guess why what makes them stand out I think um before Tokyo I would have said London 2017 world championships for me they were the pinnacle of my career ironically they weren't the most successful event that I competed in but I think um having come away from Rio the year before feeling like I hadn't quite achieved what I set out to achieve or feeling like I'd been set back somewhat. Um, London was this opportunity for me to go out there, having been able to spend 12 months working on um, that mindset, um, my like mental health, my physical health, like just really cultivating a good athlete. Um, And that, it just made all the difference on the day. And I think that's what really stood out to me. And I think now, um, Tokyo has a similar value to it. While the results in Tokyo were the same as, as Rio medal-wise, um, it was the first time I sort of went out onto the track and was able to demonstrate to myself the kind of athlete that I've become and actually see the growth that's happened in those couple of years. And so I think for me that was hugely empowering and it really took the weight off, I guess, the meaning behind or the perceived meaning behind the medals and the results. I know we spoke before Tokyo, I think it was somewhere somewhere last year, and you said when you finished London, I think you were sick leading up, is that yeah, right? right? You were sick leading up and, and you had like no big expectations on yourself and you didn't even look at the scoreboard because you just were like, oh my gosh, like I want to live in this moment. And I remember thinking, oh, I hope she feels that again in Tokyo. And you've just kind of confirmed that, you know, it's a similar experience. Is that how you felt running Tokyo? Yeah, it was, except I think the difference was this time. I I didn't go in, I think, with this fear of losing. I went in with a very sort of, I guess, almost balanced idea of what um, racing meant to me and what, what the results meant mm. to me. So 
you know, of course I sort of crossed that line and was like, oh God, like what does the scoreboard say? Or something like I sort of knew, I think, in yeah. both of those races where I was at. But it's those few seconds after you've crossed the line where the, the reality kind of hits you. And that's where you get that idea of, or that sense of um, how you really feel about it. It's it's quite a vulnerable place to be, I think. So for me to cross that line in Tokyo, to have come second and to really be at peace with that and to be really proud of myself for that was just a huge moment for me. It was just so far away from where I'd been five years before. You've hit the nail on the head. Like I put that back to my swimming days, being a competitive swimmer and finishing a race and going oh no like I'm scared to look up and see what time or position I've gone and I think like okay well at least if I didn't like the result I could hide my face under the water but how do you like how do you deal with you know having cameras around you and being on that world stage in in that very vulnerable time like eyes are on you I think I just accepted the fact that emotion is part of the sport and people love to see it (laughs) as much as it can be sort of painful or difficult to experience in the moment I think that almost authentic representation of of what's going on for you is is very human and I think it allows to separate it sort of allows us to separate this idea of elite superhuman people from you know just normal people and by showing that emotion and, and being quite honest about what's going through your head I think it's it resonates more with people and that was almost comforting to me you know you've hit the nail on the head with that like it yes it's vulnerable and it's uncomfortable but it makes you know everyone go okay like yeah like that feeling that I do feel if I've crossed the line and not super happy or I'm not at peace or I am at peace but it wasn't the result that people were expecting of me like if you show that emotion people are like oh well like they feel it too like you're a human first and not an athletic robot yeah exactly and I think Also, it was really important to me in Tokyo to be appreciative of what uh, I guess my result kind of looked like as well. Like it's in Rio, I walked away with two silvers and was, you know, really disappointed. Whereas I think this time I walked away thinking like, you know, if you if you couldn't be the one that was winning, like at least you were you were offering up like an incredible race to watch or you were, you know, demonstrating the competitiveness that people love to see and that you love to feel like there is you can get so much more out of a race than just the end result and that was what Tokyo was kind of all about for me. You mentioned before that you took a little bit of a break from the sport so after the com games you I think you were year 11 weren't you? Yeah. Yeah Yeah. so you took a little bit of a break what what was your thought process there like it's you know obviously a very stressful time in your in your high school career. Yeah I think it was really just a feeling of burnout at that point I think I had been competing at back-to-back major competitions through the entirety of my sort of teen years and with no real sort of time to step back and find clarity in what I was doing and why I was doing it and that sort of caught up with me I think and I think we spoke about it that there was sort of a time at Com Games where I was sitting there looking at my medal and just kind of didn't feel much Mm -hmm. and for me that was that sort of red flag to sort of be like, okay, you need to take a step back and assess what's going on for you and and what um, you need to do to kind of remain true to to your values and to where you want to be. So that's kind of what that time off was all about. And part of that was having a year to focus on, on school and really finishing that off well. 
because that was really important to me. So I think it was probably the best thing I could have done for myself at that point. Mm, Do you think, because I've had a few breaks from my sport before, but do you think that having that time off has allowed you to come back to it? Like without that time off, would you still be in the sport now? Oh, I, I would say I, if I hadn't taken that break, there is no chance I would have continued on in the sport with a sense of enjoyment. And I Mm -hmm. think at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. So having that time off, I, it allowed me to sort of focus on something else that was important to me and really commit to it. But it also meant that by the end of year 12, when everything was kind of done and everyone was thinking about, you know, what, what do we want to do after high school? For me, the the idea of and the sensation of athletics just kind of kept creeping back to me. So I think without that time and that opportunity to kind of reflect, I don't think it would have it would have really occurred to me in the same way. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I love that you were able to go, no, I still do love it deep down at my core and make a comeback. In terms of like your physical training, I guess, or your preparation once you decided to make a comeback, like how, how did that go? Did it change drastically? Did you end up, you know, moving states? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's a big difference between coaching and um, and being a, uh, you know, a young adolescent athlete Mm -hmm. I think between the ages of 14 and 17 there's a lot of change happening there in almost every sense of the word so I think once I came back to sport I knew I had the experience of those few years um, already and I knew what I wanted to do differently in terms of how I wanted to go about training and coaching and all those kinds of things but I also had a body that was more consistent and more reliable and it has allowed us to really push those boundaries and really test where my limits are, which has been a quite, honestly, quite a confronting experience. I think really seeing where, where that line is. So um, we're definitely working with a very different athlete now to what we were a few years ago. Yeah. And has your like mental preparation changed or like, you know, you said that you were feeling burnt out at that Com games, like Gold Coast Com games, 2018 is the way like you mentally approach your sport different now? Cause like, I can just think of like how a 14 year old thinks compared to how you think at 16 or 17 or even, you know, 19 and 20 now, like how, how's that changed? I think those few years um, allowed me to sort of recognize how important mental sort of preparedness was mm-hmm. for me. So, you know, once a sports psychologist wasn't even part of my week, whereas now I have two separate psychs that I speak to regularly and probably wouldn't be able to function without. (laughs) So I think it's one of those things where you learn what helps and what doesn't, and you sort of begin to unapologetically accept that help. And that's sort of where I'm at at the moment. I think I'm I'm studying psych as well, which means that I I love being um, in that space, but it was really important to me that if my body was as strong as it could be by the time it got to the start line, then I wanted my mental strength to kind of match that to give myself the best possible chance Mm. so I guess that's kind of where we're at now so was there anything different that you took to Tokyo that you didn't have at other like major competitions previously yeah so in the lead up to the games I was working a lot with Joan Oliver who was my sports psychologist and we had a session maybe two months out from the games and I was really caught up in, um, I guess, my perception of myself as an athlete and what that kind of meant. And I was starting to really feel the pressure 
that athletes start to feel like two months out from a, a major competition. And he sort of sat me down and revisited this idea of values and sort of helped me to connect with this idea that while I am an athlete and my, my job is to sort of go out and compete and represent my country, I am also so many other things. And we sort of discussed that it could be applicable for anybody really, that while I was an athlete, I was also a student, I was a friend, I was a girlfriend, I was a daughter, I was all of these things. And none of these one things defined who I was. And so this was really powerful for me because it took the pressure of Tokyo and and competition away completely. I was able to just kind of think, well, I'm more than just my results. I'm more than just my medals. I'm more than just whatever happens in this race. And that was such a comfort to me because I didn't have to control anything for that to be true. So when I was in Tokyo, I actually had, you can see it in some of the photos, I had this like really crappy little bracelet that I had made and it had MTJT in letters on the bracelet. And so having that all through Tokyo, all in the lead up to Tokyo was really, it just really resonated with me and it was something that really stuck. So recently I, um, I've actually designed um, a website for myself and the, the whole sort of theme of that website is, is MTJT more than just this. And it explores how, while, you know, I am an athlete and, and that's probably why people are on the website, there are also so many other things going on. And I think that links in really well with that, this idea of the holistic person or the holistic athlete. And that was really important to me. So yeah, more than just this is kind of where we're at at the moment. Oh, I love that. And I, I guess it ties in really well with the whole idea of, you know, this podcast is like, it's not just the athletic or the performance. It's like your whole well-being. Like it's the whole person. It's the whole picture. It's more than just that one exactly. thing. And whether you're an athlete or you're a business person or like it's applicable, like you said, to everyone in every context I guess like you could apply it yeah exactly and that's the whole idea of it and that's the really beautiful thing about it it means that regardless of where my life kind of goes or anybody's life sort of goes you can always sort of come back to the this idea that you you're not just your your grades your results your um your job and I think that's such a refreshing thing to hear these days Mm. and I think it like you said like it takes that pressure off it, you know something that you're really nervous about because you you're like oh well no I'm I'm more than that one thing like I've got this 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 and then you can you know perform if you need to or you can you know feel a bit more comfortable and I think that's you know what it's all about exactly isn't it? yeah it's all about finding the the value in the little things yeah so we will work out how to pop a link to that in yeah. our show notes perfect thank you <laughs> Do you have like anything or even, I guess, like from Tokyo, any like mental techniques that you do before, before a race? Like, is it called a call, a call room in, yeah. in athletics? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, there, there are plenty. Um, I think <laughs> the one that I think I tell people the most is um, probably the most, it's the fun one, um, which, so to give some context, when I was having a chat with my sports psych around focus and um, I guess concentration and trying to calm the nerves of pre-race kind of jitters he sort of went about simplifying it so that you don't get that sense of overwhelm and that sense of you know I'm really nervous and I shouldn't be nervous or I'm not nervous at all so there's something wrong with me and he kind of put all that to one side and said you know at the end of the day you've got maybe three really important 
cues that you need to focus on. And he said, sometimes things that are done really simply can also be some of the best things. So he gave an example of a margarita pizza. So for me, we went into Tokyo with this image of a margarita pizza and that margarita pizza consisted of my three or four most important race cues. So when I was in call room, the only real thing that I, I guess, had to think about wasn't whether or not I was nervous. It wasn't how fast anyone else was running. It wasn't the fact that all of a sudden maybe, you know, my left toe did hurt a little bit. Like none of that really mattered. It was kind of all about those three cues. So Mm -hmm. funnily enough, I was behind the start line of my 100 in Tokyo, just whispering to myself, margarita pizza over and over and over again. (laughs) So anyone standing next to me who understood what I was saying probably thought I was insane, but it's what works, right? And that's what worked for me. So that, yeah, that got me through Tokyo and it is a fail safe for me. And it's like little things like that. No one would really understand (laughs) what you were saying, but it worked for you and you knew the context behind it and what it meant. So like something like that, is invaluable and thank you for sharing that because you know I'm sure there's someone out there listening and please let us know if if it has if you you know think similar that would use something like that and it and it works for them and you know it's it's worked for you because you finished that race and you were really content with it yeah exactly and I think it was really important to me that any of those cues that I had had nothing to do with anybody else you know you weren't sitting on the start line thinking oh I'm better than everyone else or I'm going to beat everyone in this race it sort of didn't matter who the person was standing next to you because all you were really worried about was your event and your race and your lane. And I think that that's kind of the key to, to sport psych and to sport focus. Mm, I love that. Oh, that's so cool. You mentioned you were studying psychology and like, you've obviously got a very strong interest in it. And I love that you do so much work with, you know, mental health awareness and talking about that stuff. What was the motivation behind that? Like, what was the thing that sparked that interest? Um, I think it was, it was sparked quite young for me. So I would have been probably 11 or 12 and I, it sounds ridiculous, but I was reading these books that had a protagonist who was a clinical psychologist and his work in clinical psychology sort of was the the thread that went through each of his his novels and I was just fascinated by what he did and how he did it and his ability to help and understand people with sometimes really unique perceptions and experiences of life and I think for me that just kind of stuck with me all through high school and I took a little bit of psych in years 10 11 and 12 and absolutely loved it and I just knew it was what I wanted to do when I left school and obviously falling into elite sport and seeing that psychology was such a huge part of how athletes sort of gather themselves and perform just sort of reiterated that to me. So yeah, I certainly won't be straying from psych anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think you'd go into sports psych or are you thinking like, do you have any idea what particular area you want to delve into? Yeah, it's a good question. (laughs) Um, I think at the moment, I just know that I want psych to be a huge part of my career in my life Mm -hmm. I have said a couple times that obviously working clinically is is quite inviting I mean I'm still only in my sort of second third year of study so there's a long way to go but um (laughs) yeah I think that the way that sport and psychology complement each other is sort of a very obvious one for me and I would like to use that 
along with my experience in in sport to to help other people but yeah it's kind of a work in progress at the moment yeah it's a we'll see stay tuned (laughs) give it a year or three (laughs) (laughs) oh that's no that's awesome and in terms of like that's where you want to go professionally in terms of like your study but is what are some you know future goals in terms of your running that you that you have in mind yeah well at the moment we're obviously working towards Paris 2024 so the next Paralympic Games which I'm really excited about in the meantime we've sort of got some some much smaller goals obviously we have nationals this year we'll have hopefully a, a world championships back in Japan this year which will be great so it's kind of those little goals along the way that we're working towards at the moment but more than anything we're just trying to see how strong we can make me in that time so we're kind of really experimenting with things at the moment and seeing what you know ISIS of 2024 might actually look like so it's very exciting it is exciting and like watching the evolution of your running already like and just you as a person your mindset like I can't wait to see 2024 as well (laughs) is there and this is a hard question because I'm asking for one piece of advice or some advice that you'd you know share with some like aspiring athletes I might I might have said this on your podcast as well actually um (laughs) So sorry for repeating myself, but (laughs) the biggest thing for me and I think the biggest thing I learned, particularly in that break away from sport, was how important it was to have um, a reason why and a reason for why you're doing something. And I think this might sort of resonate with younger athletes where you're sort of going to training every day and you're competing and you, you sort of feel like it's the right thing to do. But if someone were to ask you, you know, why do you go to training every day? And if, mm-hmm. if the answer is, oh, because my, you know, my parents want me to or because I feel like I should or because it's part of a, um, a program I have to do, I think that might be cause for reflection and sort of think, you know, maybe is there something else you would rather be doing? Is there something that you're really passionate about that you feel like you're missing out on? And if so, why? And I think for me, that break allowed me to sort of think I want to go back to sport but why? And then I was able to get really clear on, on what that reason was. And for me, it was a passion for, for sport, for exercise, but it was also just a passion for wanting to be able to really work away at something and, and really try and master it. So I think that's what kind of gets you out of bed in the morning. It's not, you know, I have to be at training by 8.30 or I really want to win gold in Tokyo. It's, it's a little bit deeper than that. And it's really connecting to those, those values. Oh, I just got goosebumps again. I know that's not the first time I've heard that, but oh my gosh, I yeah, I love that. How do you, I guess, what's your advice? And I haven't thrown this, I'm throwing this question at you, but yeah. like, what's your advice to find that why? Because it, you know, that's a very deep question to ask yourself and, and to, you know, go through that, I guess, kind of young, like, how do you find out what your why is and then work towards motivating yourself with it? I guess, to be honest, that question was first posed to me by my sports psych and Mm -hmm. it was because it was because I was sort of doubting what I think we all go through that you're sort of doubting what you're doing with your life and wondering if you're doing the right thing and you know you might not be doing the same thing as everybody else and that can be really scary and I think he was able to sort of sit down with me and say okay well what you know what do you love about what you do and it was as simple as like really writing a list of those things and I I think it also took taking a step back from my sport and realizing that I missed going to training every day and I missed 
the thrill of competing. I didn't miss the, you know, the medals that came with it. I missed like the sensations. And I think that is something people could really connect to. It's just a matter of sitting mm-hmm. down and, and thinking about the feelings that you really like to feel and what, what makes you feel that way. And I think if you find yourself sort of saying, well, sport or swimming or running or whatever it might be fills me with anxiety or dread or, you know, I just don't enjoy it, then you sort of say, okay, well, what about this other sport? And then they go, oh, well, I love doing that. It's like, well, there you go. Mm. You've just answered your own question. So, yeah, I guess it's um, almost like assisted self-reflection in a way. Yeah. Oh, well, you've given us some actionable things and like a, a few deep questions to think about, which I really, really love. Like, oh, you've given me goosebumps really. So <laughs> I hope the listeners have goosebumps too. But thank you so much for, you know, joining us for, you know, being our first guest for this new podcast. Like, honestly, can't have thought of it. I couldn't think of anyone better. <laughs> thank you. No, it's been awesome. I, I love I love our chats. They're always very exciting. <laughs> Um, you have to keep doing them. <laughs> yes, please. And I have to stop repeating myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll do, we'll do yearly catch-ups and, and you've got to give us a different piece of advice every year. Perfect. No, I love that. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top-level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.